This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over the big issues at Everton this week and there have been some major issues. Top of the agenda today is of course Everton's two-year transfer academy ban, the half a million pounds fine and the um, sanctions and the shocking revelations that were revealed by the Premier League last night. We'll also be discussing Michael Keane's international return. Andre Gomez, of course, also called back up by Portugal. Look ahead to Chelsea and talk about Ross Barkley and Everton's pursuit of points against the division's big boys. Um, Preno, I'll start with you and we will start with the rather sobering and, 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 as I say, shocking revelations from the Premier League last night after their investigation and the club's internal investigation into allegations of tapping up of schoolboys. Um, just give me your thoughts generally and your feelings when that news dropped uh, last night around five o'clock. It's, it's been rumbling on for a few weeks just now, hasn't it, since, uh, since Martin Waldron was placed on a gardening leave over the allegations that uh, Emerson had tapped up a, a young lad uh, from Cardiff, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so that in itself didn't come as a, you know, a blinding revelation, but the severity of the punishment um, certainly did. I wouldn't describe it as draconian, but certainly severe when you bear in mind that Liverpool and Manchester City have both been found guilty of uh, the same charges uh, and, and got, a, I said got away with. But you know, the fines have been significantly reduced and in one of the instances, the, uh, the transfer ban was suspended. I mean, Emerson physically can't buy players now for two years, uh, aged between 16 and 18. And that is largely because Everton have held their hand up and said, yes, OK, um, you know, we're being found guilty of this charge, but we'd like you to take six other charges into account. And I've basically opened the door to the Premier League and said, look, we totally hold our hands up, that, you know, so we haven't been doing things the way in which we should have been doing things. Um, you know, therefore, we're at your mercy. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. Um, A, you could argue other Premier League clubs have been doing this for time immemorial and other Premier League clubs will be continuing to do this. Uh, Everton are just the unfortunate ones, if you like, that are being caught. Uh, It's been going on donkey's years. I can think of uh, incidents in the past when Everton have been criticised for not offering inducements to very, very high-profile players that went elsewhere, uh, you know, some of them very, very close to across the park. I'm not suggesting Liverpool have been you know, doing anything wrong in that instance. Mm. Uh, the, the rules are very different uh, back in the day. Uh, but, you know, Everton, you know, have missed out on significant players uh, in the past um, through through not doing this. Clearly, they have been doing it at the moment. Uh, they're, they're being caught out. And... I think Denise Barrett-Baxendale, the chief executive of the football club, is understandably appalled by this. And I think she holds that uh, that people's club ethos of Everton very, very dear to her heart. And uh, that, I think, is part of the reason why you know she has been so upfront about this, why the club statement that was issued was so bold. I mean... Um, I wish I'll read you that. In fact, do you want to read it out? Yeah, because it is quite uh, quite dramatic. Mm. Okay, well, I'll, I'll read it out now. Um, this was a, a statement that Everton produced in conjunction with the Premier League and, and Everton's statement in response to the charges and the, and the um, 
the penalties, if you like, was. Everton has worked alongside the Premier League over recent weeks to conduct a full and thorough investigation into allegations relating to our academy's operational methods, methods in some areas of player recruitment. In short, we are extremely disappointed with some of the practices we have found, which are not in line with the values and not acceptable to Everton Football Club. Accordingly, we have accepted the penalties imposed on us by the Premier League and have given them our strongest apologies. We have already commenced a full review of our academy operations and are committed to ensuring that issues like this do not happen again. Now, as you say, Preno, for Everton and and a football club statement, that's almost as strong as you're going to get, really. Absolutely. It's holding the hands up and saying, look, you know, we accept that things have been happening that not everybody at the football club is clearly aware of. Um, But, you know, so we, we... appalled by this situation and you know we're going to do everything we can to put things right um it sounds like there's going to be absolute root and branch surgery taken to the uh, the academy recruitment process um any practices uh, that are unacceptable that have been unearthed you know will cease immediately and everson they're quite a wounded beast at the moment uh, you expect there's a you know a number of people around the uh, the academy you know sort of walking around feeling quite chastened and quite uh, quite upset but I would say it, it's quite heartening to hear Everton take uh, an approach like that. Other Premier League clubs haven't. They've accepted the, uh, the the rap on the knuckles, if you like, and you know sort of carried on, you know, running their academies the way they've been running them. Everton are going to make significant changes, uh, you know, to their running of the academy. It's heartening. I mean, you can uh, you can point the finger and say that well, other clubs will continue to get better players because they will continue to bend the rules. Doesn't matter. Everton want to do things the correct way. Uh, you know the proper way, and they will do so in the future. And Sam, isn't isn't that maybe the key? Because as well as the revelations that that, that came out as part of the investigations, which were, were pretty appalling, and and as Preno mentioned, Everton's own investigation had revealed six further breaches of the rules. Do you feel that the Premier League have come down more severely on Everton than they did Liverpool and Manchester City in the past for similar um, sort of infractions, if you like, because Everton's academy is. Is a pillar of the football club and is almost seen as a sort of a bastion of, of everything that's right about academy football. And it's it's a hugely proud institution and arm of the football club and something that, rightly, the club have, have for want of a better f- phrase, trumpeted as, as, as something they're incredibly proud of. So that, do you think that the Premier League have made an example of Everton as almost a warning to the other clubs going, this is one of the best, if not the best academies in the country, possibly in Europe, and we're not going to take any nonsense? Yeah, potentially. I think it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? To kind of obviously at first glance, it's a, it's a difficult one to stomach when you when you do see the as Dave points out the the relatively lesser fines and and sanctions for Liverpool and Manchester City. So obviously, so, as you're saying there, and anyone who spent time down at the academy and you you see, you know, obviously there's the names you, you've heard of, but there's so many people down there who put a lot of time and effort into making sure. You know, and a lot of money as well. The club pump in to make sure hundreds of lads each year uh, aiming to become the, the the next Tom Davis, the next John Joe Kenny. So I think on on that aspect, it's it's difficult to kind of think Everton have kind of been employing these practices. But at the same time, then you'd hope that in the future they've, they've, they've learned a lesson from it. They'll have to change the policy entirely, uh, you know, for youth recruitment because they've, they've been quite aggressive in the past at targeting, um, you know, high-profile players from other football clubs who they think they can develop and turn into potentially first-team players. I'm thinking of the likes of, you know, so Josh Bowler, Lewis Gibson, uh, both recruited for significant transfer fees. And, you know, by all accounts, uh, you're making steady progress uh, on the 23 mm-hmm. level. That 
can't happen for the next couple of years. So, you know, it's going to be a, a complete policy change, you know, from the from the very, very bottom upwards. Prana, um, just staying with you, mate, in terms of, look, while this investigation was ongoing and the club were doing their own investigation and unearthing these other six skeletons in the closet, if you like, Marcel Brands as director of football would have been braced for the Premier League issuing some form of penalty. But but yesterday's ruling and that two-year ban you mentioned and, and the type of players that the football club yeah. can no longer chase for, for the next 24 months, how much do you sense that that's caused a problem for Marcel in terms of changing? Because the academy is, is something that he's, yeah. you know, it's a huge part of his of his mission at Everton to uh, improve the academy, you know, akin to the way he did at PSV. So how much of a problem do you think that causes him? It's not going to make it any easier, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, Marcel's... Um, market uh, for securing players isn't necessarily, you know, so England, you know, I think he looks much further afield. Uh, the chat that you had with uh, one of his PSV, um, you know, uh, friends, drug colleagues mm. uh, pointed out that, you know, he has, you know, basically sources all over the world. You know, he knows everything about everybody. So in that respect, I, I don't think those are the players Everton are barred from signing. I mean, if I, if I Read it correctly, it's players who've been registered with Premier League clubs or clubs in England, sorry. Yeah, of uh, course, if, if if Marcel went and chased a player at Barcelona, but that player had been at Arsenal in the previous 18 yeah. months, we couldn't sign him. Yeah, but you get the impression that Marcel has got, you know, a very, very wide network of scouts, you know, South America especially. And I think, you know, he'd be looking at those markets. So that wouldn't be uh, impinged upon. But clearly, you know, so any bright young talent, you know, who's been targeted, and there have been plenty linked with Everson uh, in the past. I'm thinking of uh, the young lad Hurst, is it, the striker over, yes, over yeah. in Yorkshire? Uh, you know, they've looked at players like that, you know, routinely. That can't happen over the next two years. Or they can look at those players, but they can't physically buy them for two years. So it is a, a blow, certainly. And Everton have got a great reputation for bringing players through from academy football to play senior football. Uh, I think it was at the stat that the only two play, only two clubs who've actually last season uh, gave last, more minutes. You know, to given more minutes, players, yeah. Arsenal yeah. and Man United, you know. So, so Everton are right up there in terms of developing young talent. So clearly, th- that's going to be impacted upon as well. So it, it's a big blow for the football clubs. Absolutely, no, no mistaking about that. But their reaction to it um, speaks volumes for the direction in which the club wants to go and the manner in which the club, you know, so wants to do things. I always remember um, a statement that, you know, Sir Philip Carter, God rest his soul, uh, came out with when um, the True Blue Holdings actually took over uh, from Peter Johnson's uh, regime. Oh, gosh, was it 2000? Uh, you know, when, mm. when that first happened. And it was just a very, very clipped comment, uh, you know, he made at the press conference where he said, yes, there are a lot of things that happened here that, you know, so we didn't uh, like, didn't think should have been happening at a football club like Everton. That won't happen in the future. Um, you know, so football clubs are, are behemoths these days. They're mm. absolutely enormous institutions. And, you know, it's so difficult uh, to, you know, analyse and keep tabs on everything that goes on there. But clearly Everton wants to ensure that the football club does things in the correct manner. Going back historically, Everton was always perceived as a football club that does things in the correct fashion. Well, isn't that, isn't that the point though? Because, uh, all, you know, and, and I've wrote a piece this morning where saying, look, forget the fine, put park the yeah. the ban to one side. It, it's, the, it's the damage to Everton's image. Our reputation actually, is being hurt, undoubtedly. I think that hurts yeah. them probably more than anything. Definitely, yeah, because, you know, they, they portray themselves as the people's club. You know, it's a club that has family values and it still does. I mean, you look at the work that they do in the community. Um, was it David Dean had a little bit of a, a moan this week talking about football clubs should be doing more to do work with prisons 
Everton have been doing that for 10 years. You know, they do an awful lot of work uh, that other football clubs don't do, and which is rightly celebrated, and they're rightly proud of that. So incidents like this will hurt them. You know, it'll cut them to the very quick, and it's why they've reacted the way they have and the way they intend to try and put things right as quickly as possible. Um, at the time of recording um, this edition of the Royal Blue Podcast, uh, Martin Waldron, head of academy recruitment, remains suspended uh, whilst the club complete their internal investigation. So a decision on his future uh, remains to be determined. Uh, Sam, just the last question before we move on uh, and discuss uh, first team matters. You know, sort of finger on the pulse in terms of fan reaction. What do you, what do you feel and what's the sense, the news? How, how did the supporters take to the news last night and, and today? I think there's there's been more kind of... Uh, Amusement and, and maybe anger about as we spoke about before Liverpool and Manchester City's. Uh, Are they questioning why Everton have been punished yeah. more severely than the other two? Right, okay. Yeah, and and obviously I think it's hard really to see how it will affect the club kind of over the next two years and and what players we'll miss out on mm. and potentially you know if Marcel Brands did have his eye on any youngsters coming through then as Dave said there won't be the opportunity to to make that move so. You know, you look back over the last few years and players we might have missed out on, potentially people like Holgate and Stones and and uh, Leandro Rodriguez, and players <laughs> well, of that well, ilk. Well, we could still we could still sign Leandro Rodriguez from abroad. He, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe yeah. then. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's it'll be it'll be interesting to obviously see how, how Everton deal with it, and maybe the only potential silver lining could be, you know, a, a young lad who's already in the academy might be given more of a chance then. Than, Good point. They, they would have done if we'd have, if we'd have signed someone from from another academy in England. So yeah, I think I think that could that could be the only thing taken from it. And again, Marcel Brands has, has came in a really busy time for for Everton. Really, I think he's had a, a busy transfer window, and and now any plans he had for the academy. And I know he he, he said to, to in the summer how important it could be to to look a little bit younger towards that mm-hmm. fifteen to eighteen age bracket. That'll that'll have to be shelved for the time being, and it will be interesting to see what his kind of broader aspirations and model for the academy is. Indeed, so uh, interesting and troubling at the same time. Uh, the news that obviously Everton have been sanctioned heavily by the Premier League for academy rule breaking. Um, moving on to the first team matters. Uh, two international recalls for senior players this week. Michael Keane is back in the England squad, Preno and Andre Gomez back <laughs> in the Portugal squad. Um, are you surprised at all that both of those have, have earned recalls? I was absolutely stunned by Andre Gomez because I didn't know he'd even been dropped from the Portugal squad. Uh, apparently, he's not been picked since March, uh, but you know he's back in and he's only played three games. You know, so and he, but he has made a very very significant impact on us certainly. And clearly, the Portuguese uh, international selectors know exactly what he's capable of. So I think it was just a question of basically him proving his match fitness, uh, seeing that he's playing football you know reg- regularly again, and he's a shoe in to be back in the squad. So, you know, that, that, that shouldn't come as a surprise at all. Michael Keane, absolutely no surprise whatsoever because he's had a great season so far. And uh, we've spoken about him a, a number of times in this pod and the issues that he had with the injury last season, with the, uh, the, the foot um, cut, which required him to wear a boot two sizes bigger than his other one. Uh, you know, so whilst he tried to play through the pain barrier, clearly that was a contributory factor. And, um, you know, so bitty form before January, second half of the season, he was solid. Missed out on the uh, the World Cup, obviously, which we know hurt him. You know, we spoke about it prior to the World Cup, and he really desperately hoped he might get, you know, sort of a last minute call, but he didn't. Um, and his form this season has just been uh, absolutely top class again. Um, 
again, he's had to issues he's had to try and contend with. I mean, a hairline fracture of a skull is not, you know, a, a strain. It's not a knee strain or, you know, sort of a bruise on your, your shin. That's a tough injury to overcome that. And he overcome it very, very quickly. And again, played with that, you know, strange skull cap thing that, you know, sort of enabled him to play games. So you can only A, praise his attitude and B, B praise his form. Um, totally deserves to be back in the England setup, and the interesting factor now is that obviously with Kurt Zuma missing out at the weekend and Yerry Mina coming in, you know, so he's got uh, Markham Silva has significant uh, selection options now. But of those three, I would say that Michael Keane is the the nailed on choice, and it's the other two to try and uh, battle it out as to who partners him. Well, Spookley, you almost read my mind there, Preno. That was the next sort of segment of of this. We will see Yerry Mina from the start. We fully expect on Sunday at Stamford Bridge when Everton play Chelsea. There's the international break and then we come back and we play Cardiff at home on the Saturday. Marco has already spoken about three at the back. Sam, are you comfortable with the idea at three at the back? It was something that Cooman tried and everybody had kittens every time they saw a team sheet with three at the back. But Mina, Keane, Zuma, Dean and Coleman, is, is that as a back five? Are you more comfortable with that idea or...? I think in general that's a fine back five but I just think with the way obviously we've got to see now how this Chelsea game goes but I think obviously to, to employ that back five you've got to take someone out of either midfield or, or attack and I just think the way it's been working the last few weeks and I think what I like at the moment is that if Walcott was injured or you know you wanted to give Bernard a rest or, or vice versa you know, we you can just slot Luckman straight in or you put Richardson wide and Tosin slot. You know, the the system seems to be working well. People know the roles. There seems to be a lot better shape off the ball, uh, a lot more understanding tactically from the players, which I think, you know, the likes of Zuma and, and Gomez and Dean coming in has helped towards. So I think at this time, I'd be uncomfortable changing to a back five purely to shoehorn Mina into the team. And I think, you know, Silva's... It's going to be a big decision and a tough decision, a pleasant headache, I suppose. But I think you've just got to pick your best eleven. And at the moment, a back four with the three in midfield, Sigurdsson at the tip of that, and the three forwards is working well. I can't at the moment. I don't think anyone, especially at Goodison Park, and even with shown signs away from home, no one is looking forward to playing Evan at the moment. Do you not have to find a place in the starting eleven for your most expensive defender ever? Yeah, but I think. If you do, then it's got to it's got to be the big decision of of, of cutting either Zuma or or Keane out. And you know, I think I wouldn't like to make that decision. I think Keane, I said in the in the podcast earlier in the week, to me, I cannot see the player from last season at all. He just looks so confident, so strong. His reading of the game is much better. Yeah, a few of the passes he done against Brighton, he done that defence split and pass, yeah. didn't he? Which was you know last season. I, I genuinely, you know, and, and not being harsh. I genuinely couldn't see how or why we'd spent thirty million on him. I didn't see what what attributes to his game that he had that other players of the club in that position didn't have. But this season just looks like a totally different player. I suppose his only problem at the moment, Keane, is how well Zuma is also playing, and the fact that Zuma is only on loan uh, is the much point to having him and, and just putting him on the bench. But I think for the first time in a long time, Everton look solid at the back and we look like we've got options. So. We're also just presuming that Yerry Mina is going to hit the ground running and yeah. it's going to look the player that we saw at the World Cup. Yeah, he has to. <laughs> well, d- d- we don't know, do we? I mean, you know, sometimes footballers find that transition to the Premier League very, very difficult. I'm not going to mention Per Kroldrup. Oh, damn, I've just mentioned him. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you know, it sometimes can be a tricky thing to, uh, you know, sort of you know, smoothly transition into. So I'm not expecting that because Mina, you know, looks like a, a very, very good footballer. 
But it's a different style of football entirely. So we'll, we'll reserve judgments on those selection issues until he's had an absolute blinder at Chelsea and scored the winning goal from a corner in the last minute. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember when we did, a few years ago, when we did score against Chelsea in the last minute and we thought we'd won it? Yeah. And then they went down the other end and yeah. scored. Two words, game management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roberto Martinez. And De La Feu trying to dribble past two uh, players inside our own. It was, so. was Ramiro, wasn't it? Who scored from the corner. Last... Funes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, and John Teddy's couple, it was, was offside. offside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you mean a last minute, I think, would uh, fame <laughs> fans' favourite, wouldn't Absolutely. Uh, how are our confidence levels going into Sunday's game then? You know, uh, you, this it's not necessarily such a monkey, but it, it, it's hanging over us, you know, points picking up points against the top four, top five, and top six almost now, isn't it? And, yeah. and before we started recording, Preno, I'd said to you, the season we finished fifth under Roberto, you know, 72 points in the league. We, we beat Arsenal at home, drew them away, beat United home and away, beat Chelsea at home, got a point off Liverpool. We That challenge is, is still there. Obviously, we defeat so far to Arsenal and United. What do we have to be getting from Chelsea away? Uh, City's coming up, Spurs is coming yeah. up. I, I was quite surprised actually when you related those results to me because I'd, I'd forgotten how well we'd done that season. And I would suggest... That was just, you know, booking the trend, you know, just that one season. Because the trend tends to be, uh, and this is a, a horrible trend in football generally, that the top four clubs get richer and get stronger uh, and the rest, I wouldn't say fall by the wayside, but find it very, very, very difficult uh, to play catch up. You get the occasional Leicester City experience, you know, so where they can, you know, they can book that trend but the trend generally is that they just get stronger and stronger and stronger and as a result those four clubs monopolise uh, all the competitions the League Cup and the FA Cup which is happening an awful lot over the last five or six seasons and they become very very difficult to take points off and when you look at Liverpool, Chelsea and Man City you know still unbeaten and still you know absolutely flying not even looking like getting beat in the Premier League Um, so it becomes even more difficult uh, to break into Finance has played a part in that because you know, they are in the Champions League because they generate such huge resources and therefore they can add to the squad. But Everton under Farhad Mashiri uh, have been challenging more in that respect. You know, they are able to bring in £40 million players in Sigurdsson and Richarlison and you know, £30 million defenders as we've spoken about. So we should really be aiming you know, to, to certainly get into the top six. And you can only do that by picking up the occasional results uh, at clubs like that. You've got to take advantage when they're vulnerable um, you could argue that Chelsea aren't particularly vulnerable this week because they've only had a Basse Borisov game on Thursday night. They're looking very strong, totally. aren't they? Exactly. It's like when they played a Champions League away game on the Wednesday. You know that, that's the time to catch them. You know, so you know, ideally in a home game. But you've got to try and find a way of doing it. Uh, and Chelsea, unfortunately, is one of those grounds where Everson just haven't found a way of doing it for a long, long time. Um, a couple of you know scraped draws in that time and a, an FA Cup penalty shootout win uh, in the last twenty odd years, but generally it's a stadium that uh, where Everton go to and you know and, and struggle, uh, but in good form at the moment. Have had good performances at Man United and at Arsenal without the result you know, to follow, and so a similar performance level like that. If Chelsea just dip a little bit, who knows? But they've got phenomenal strength and depth. Chelsea, mm. I mean, some of the attacking players at the, uh, Sarri's disposal are absolutely you know so mind blowing. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. One of the players Sam, we, ex- we expect will start will be Ross Barkley. Um, he's spoken this morning about potentially the reception he might get. He's pretty pragmatic about it. He says, you know, I might get some good, some bad. But do you think, you know, playing sort of, you know, 
use your imagination. If Ross was still at the football club, do you think Marco would be able to work with him and find a slot? Do you think if Ross Barkley was still in Everton, he would be a nailed-on starter? It's hard. It's hard to to kind of tell. You'd say probably. Uh, you know, I think the reason fans got frustrated with Ross was because you know you you genuinely knew there was a a potentially world class player in there, and, and and he just too often made the wrong decision when it mattered. I mean, it's 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 a mouth watering thought really to have the Ross Barkley that we're well we've seen in the last few matches at Chelsea to have him in this current Everton team as well. Uh, but I think that the like the likes of Andre Gomez uh, arrive and soften the blow. Sigurdsson's form this season, another player who looks unrecognisable from last season, and even the way Idrissa Gane Gay is kind of developing his partnership with Gomez, it it, it does soften the blow. I think there was a, I think part of the frustration with Barkley as well was when he left. You know, we weren't particularly strong in midfield, uh, and and it did seem like we we would miss him. But at the moment, there's there's no part of me that kind of thinks that we're missing Ross Barkley totally and at the same time I think it's been a little bit exaggerated his, his upturning form he's had a couple of good games but as Evertonians who, who watch Ross come through as a 16 year old we've all seen it before he has purple patches and for, for him now it's whether he can do it over a 38 game Premier League season and he's also surrounded by absolutely world class players yeah. you know, which is also massively going to make him look like a better player would he not be um, surrounded by better players if he was still in the seventh team though better players than he was playing with you know so when he left um, yes but not as good as you know the players that are surrounding no, him with Chelsea yeah. you know they you know they they would make him look wonderful the, the runs that they're making uh, their ability to find him he, he is developing as a footballer it, it sticks in me craw a little bit when he starts complaining about uh, not having been coached you know so successfully at Everton which is absolute nonsense you know so when you look at 11 years old he was when he joined the football club and he was coached into an England international footballer you know so that's absolute I'm not going to use the uh, the foul language I was about to, but you know it is. It really, really irritates me to, to hear him, you know, so sort of complain about coaching. You know, he's he's a grown man. He's a footballer. He's got his own mind on his shoulders. You know, so he can influence, you know, sort of his own career as much as uh, the coaches around him. He was given plenty of solid, good, solid coaching at Everton. He's just gone to a football club at Chelsea where. Uh, he's surrounded by much better players and you know they, they found a position for him that you know fits in quite well and echo what Sam says he's had yeah, a couple of decent games he's looked okay uh, couldn't get in the team at the start of the season but he's doing okay now I wouldn't get more carried away by that I mean Kevin Ratcliffe did his column earlier this week and uh, he, he was laughing he goes no disrespect to Ross he goes but I'm not in the tiniest bit bothered about facing him I'm very bothered about facing Eden Hazard about Willian about you know Morata yeah. uh, they're, they're the players that you know you really need to worry about Barkley's done okay and you know so I suspect we might not see him because he played the full game last night didn't he you yeah. know, so in, uh, in Boris it's got, off, so. it's got to be that added motivation as well of you know there is too often you know you, that kind of Everton that kind of mentality of you know it, it does always seem we, we do always seem to be the ones where it happens against us you know a recent example Liverpool spends 75 million on defender and he scores in the last minute of the FA Cup game mm. last season and it's the perfect example on Saturday you know whether Barkley plays or not whether he comes on you know it's, it's not about Ross it's about our performance how we play and making sure, you know, at the end of the game that we, we can say that we've came away with Sutton and, you know, whether, whether he does come on or not, he, he shouldn't, you know, be the sole, you know, we're going to have many problems to worry about against Chelsea. But I think the heart and signs have been that one of the reasons we haven't won at Chelsea for, what, 23 years and Anfield for 20 years, because too often we've changed our game going into those games. We've been in good runs of form and then, you know, we, we, we pay them too much respect. And I think... We do have to go there and play out. You know, we've got players now like Richarlison, like Andre Gomez, who can change games and who can influence games 
for the better. And I think what we really, you know, positive performances against Arsenal and Manchester United, but that makes it all the more frustrating to have zero points from them games and that, that's got to change. You get the impression as well that Marco Silva is a manager that won't change his outlook. You know, yeah. it was it was a, a criticism levelled quite rightly at David Moyes on a number of occasions that, you know, he used to, what was the phrase, take a knife to a gunfight and he would always, you know, sort of temper his tactics accordingly. Um, you know, big games, he'd be a little bit too respectful of, you know, United and Arsenal. As a result, he'd get, you know, occasional draws up there, but never ever really looked like winning any of those games Manchester City apart, which was a weird one. That we just always did so well at Man City for some reason. <laughs> Tim Cahill especially, uh, but you get the impression that Marco Silva doesn't do that. You know, so he goes uh, in a very positive mentality, tries to play these teams at their own game, and as a result, you will get occasions. You know, so when you'll catch those teams having an off day, Everton have a good day, and they will win. Let's keep our fingers crossed that Sunday's one of those occasions. It's certainly not been dull, hasn't it, since Marco arrived at the football club. Um, so before we move on, this is obviously a Royal Blue podcast about Everton Football Club, but the eyes of every Evertonian will be on the Manchester Arena on Saturday night. Where <laughs> yes, indeed. Lifelong Blue, mad Evertonian Tony Bellew tries to climb one mountain for the final time and challenges Alexander Usyk for the undisputed Cruiserweight Championship of the World, all four belts on the line, plus the Ring Belt magazine preno. Just a word on, on the challenge that Tony faces, but he can do it, can't he? I'll have Mike saying that I'll pass it back to you because uh, I know as soon as this match was made, you know, so you said you could see a way that Tony can win this. And not many people do. Uh, we've got, um, I'm not going to give them publicity because it's clearly a publicity stunt, uh, but one of the betting companies sent through an email to us this morning offering 100 to 1 on Tony to win because that would then make him the biggest underdog in boxing history ever to have won a fight. I think James Buster Douglas is the uh, the previous one when he beat Mike Tyson. Uh, but they would only allow you to put one pound uh, on that bet. And you had to open an account and I've already got an account with them. So that's the end of that one. Have you but, not threw your pound on then? Uh, not yet, no, because you've got to be having a new account oh, and I already okay. have an account yeah. with them. But that underlines, you know, so how much of an underdog Tony is. Usyk is an absolute world-class boxer. Um, he's an Olympic gold medalist. He's a world amateur champion. He's won 15 and 0 as a professional, including when he boxed Gassiev, who was undefeated last time uh, out, and won every single round. So great, you know, he's an absolute polished boxer. And the clever money is on him boxing Tony's head off for 12 rounds and winning, uh, you know, a wide points decision. But Tony's so clever himself. People don't underestimate, or people always underestimate how intelligent a fighter he is. And he's improving all the time. I mean, that, you know, sort of wild slugger that we saw, you know, in his light heavyweight days or at the start of his light heavyweight days uh, has gone. You know, he's completely transformed himself into a cute, canny boxer. And that's how he beat uh, David Hay twice and comfortably beat him. Uh, Makabu, he was also a, a big underdog and got floored in the first round, but, you know, so bounced back up and again, won comprehensively that night. He looks an altogether cleverer fighter now than he ever has been. And he tells us he's found a way, he will find a way. And so I don't doubt him. You know, so he's, he, he believes this. He's got this incredible, unshakable self belief. And he's proved so many people wrong so many times. I certainly wouldn't count against him doing it again. It's going to be tough. You know, there'll be, you know, so sort of four or five, you know, rounds where maybe he won't be able to lay a glove on Usyk. But, you know, I suspect he will catch him sometime. He's a Southpaw Usyk as well. And the left hook, Tony's left hook, is one of his biggest weapons. And, you know, a left hook against a Southpaw. Don't rule that out being the you know the punch that changes the uh, the fight. But you you told me as soon as you saw the fight made, Phil, you thought you know so Tony had a chance. You still stick by that, don't you? Absolutely, because for a number of the reasons you've detailed, because I don't believe there is a British fighter out there who is more intelligent in the ring than Tony Bellew. Um, 
and he has an unshakable self-belief. It's not arrogance. Yeah. It's just a degree of mental strength that, again, I don't think he's, he's, he's surpassed by anybody who's currently operating in the British boxing ring. He's tough as old boots, Tony. Um, but he's, as you say, he's an underrated boxer. He has redefined himself in the second half of his career. He, you know, that, that, that night he got chopped down twice by Oval McKenzie, mm. but got up to win an absolute slugfest <laughs> in the rematch. Yeah. Um, he boxed his head off for 12 rounds and yeah. that was a turning point in his career. And he realized if he was going to climb, you know, to the, to the heights he wants to achieve at light heavyweight and then into cruiserweight, he had to be able to box. Um, Usyk is, is a wizard, isn't he, in the ring? He, you know, but Bradis, the Latvian in the World Boxing Super Series, exposed that there are some areas for success for Tony if he, if he, can, if he can exploit them. I think it's a very tough fight, but I think it's winnable for Tony. You know, and as you say, it, it, it doesn't carry any weight other than other than giving us all hope. But you can never write him off because he's been written off throughout his career from the word go and always proved us wrong. Um, and I believe he can do it. And if he does it, for me, there's no doubt in my mind that he is officially the city's greatest ever boxer. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I was thinking about that last night watching the build-up to it. You know, uh, already, where is he now in the uh, the, the legacy of I great, think he's already in the, great in British the boxers? I mean, you know, John Conte is the best the city's produced. You know, so he won the World Light Heavyweight Championship when it was the World Light Heavyweight Championship. There was only one version of it. I think the WBA had just about split from the WBC then. Um, but, you know, he was the undisputed, you know, sort of top dog in that division. Defended it for three or four years, but then obviously, you know, his, uh, his lifestyle outside the ring, shall we say, got the better of him. And even then, Matthew Saad Mohammed fight, you know, he was robbed in the first fight uh, in America. He, he is the best, but Tony has done it at several weights. Conte did it at light heavyweight throughout his career. Tony's done it at light heavyweight. He's done it at cruiserweight. He's done it at heavyweight. Uh, so... If he wins at the weekend, he's, he's got a shout to be one of the greatest boxers Britain has ever produced. Um, I think he's already probably claimed you know, the city's title as, a, as the, as the you know, region's best fighter, city's best fighter. Despite what you'll all say, I don't go as far back as Nell Tartan in the 30s, so I can't say that. But yeah, you know, he, his legacy is secure and is intact already. Um, he's a great character, but he's also a very, very much underrated, you know, sort of sportsman uh, and a fighter. And yeah, just hope he can add one more, you know, sort of string to that bow at the weekend. And like we said earlier, don't don't count against him doing it. Sam, fancy twelve round with Usyk? <sighs> be a bit, be a bit early on him, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'd probably take him out too early, but. <laughs> It could be a heavy weekend for the for the Evertonians if we if we record two big wins, wouldn't it, Tony? Well, yeah, my, my, my lad, it was the uh, the jammiest so and so you've ever known. <laughs> and uh, when it comes to gambling and betting, you know, he always manages to pull one out. Has asked me what the odds are on an Everson Tony Bellew double, and I just said, "Behave yourself." <laughs> but you know, if he says it's doable, I think it's doable. The stars could align, couldn't they? So, fingers crossed. All the best to Tony on Saturday, and of course. All the best to Everton on Sunday. We will be there at Stamford Bridge bringing you all the best news and analysis and opinion from what hopefully will be a positive afternoon in London. Thanks, Preno. Thanks, Sam. Thank you all for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. Please remember to review us uh, on iTunes and Acast and, and leave a comment. All very welcome. It all helps into the mix. So thank you very much for listening to this latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Marco, first of all, can we just check on with Charleston? We heard he missed training yesterday. Will he be okay for Sunday? Is he trained today? What's the situation? Mm, didn't uh, do the whole session today. Um, some individual uh, work, just in, some individual work as well. 
Uh, we'll see tomorrow. We have more one session. Uh, still in doubt for the the match. Are you thinking though it's more positive than perhaps? Let's see. Nothing. Nothing changed in yesterday for for today. Uh, let's see how he he will react uh, react uh, after the some individual work he did uh, this, this morning. Obviously, you have options. But I just wonder how you feel the importance of Richarlison has grown for this side week by week. Of course, um, like you know, he's an important player uh, for us, uh, playing in his as a striker or playing out wide as well, uh, outside um, as a winger. He's an important player. He's an important player for us. Of course, if, he, if he's not fit, um, he's, a, he's a good opportunity for the other player to play in this position. And um, this football, uh, sometimes when uh, when happen one problem, we have to look uh, to the solution as well and give the confidence and the, the players they are waiting for his chance. They have all, all my confidence as well. Obviously, we know that Kurt Zuma can't figure this weekend. So what decision have you made over his replacement? Are you going to tell us? No, <laughs> like you expect. <laughs> uh, no, of course, uh, like I told you before as well about Richardson, we have one more session tomorrow. Um, and like is normal, the, our players, they will know uh, some hours before the match. So you've not told Yerry Bede yet whether he's going to start or not. Of course, it's something uh, we are working uh, so far this this uh, this week to prepare the the match. Uh, it's something I uh, normal. I don't try to wide my players. What it will be our strategy as well. In some moments, it could be easy for them to understand. The others not not so easy. Um, possible they have one idea, but uh, I didn't. It's not my way. In one, two days before the match, to tell our players what we will do, our eleven. When Yari eventually does start, what do you think he will bring to this side? Okay, he will bring his quality as a player, like uh, uh, Zuma is doing um, when he's playing, or Michael, or when the other central defenders are playing. His quality on, on the pitch is it's a little bit different than the player than Zuma as a profile. Uh, but uh, for sure, he will bring his quality to the to our squad. As you mentioned, Michael, uh, what's your reaction to his recall to the England squad, and what difference have you seen in him since you, you first arrived here at the club? Big difference, to be fair, to be honest with you, big difference. Um, he's not the, the same Michael that I I saw during the pre-season and the, the first match, the first match as well. Okay, he's normal. He's improving. He's um, knowing better our our idea and our defensive process as a team, um, and he's normal. He's growing with the team. He's a he's a player comes here every day to to learn to understand better what what we want. It's easy to understand now. He's playing with more confidence as well. Um, for me, in my opinion, is is really value is more this Michael we are seeing now than the Michael uh, you saw last season, and the Michael I. I started to know uh, during the pre-season as well. I think he's more his value now. He's more his, really Michael is now what you are seeing now. I think he can improve. He can keep improving because he, he have condition. He has conditions to to improve. What do you put the turnaround down to then? Is it working with you, and, and how good could he be? Oh, okay, since the first day I told you as well. This is our job here is not just to. Of course, the most important thing is to 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 win match, to do everything what you can to, to achieve good results. But uh, I think to achieve that, we have to, to develop our squad and in view to develop our players as well. It's part of our of my job. It's something I, I like really to do. And when one player like Michael 
um, after what uh, how was difficult last season to to win, um, improving his his performance as well. And this moment can go to the national team. I think it's part of our job as well, not just with him. We achieve with some of the other players like Kurzuma, like Lucas Dini, and some of the others. They they can can return to the national team. I think is really important for us, and it's part of my job. Four wins in your last five Premier League games. Is the next step for this side now to start taking points off those sides regarded as the big six? It's a very good challenge for us. Mm. Of course, you are improving as a team. Um, even against these these teams, uh, you, and you played against uh, two away, not uh, not at home, and we we challenge them. We play when we compete to to achieve different different result than we we achieved. And this is our, it's our way, is what we are planning to do the, the next Sunday as well. Of course, it will be a tough match. Um, great Chelsea, I'm, I'm seeing now. I think they are doing really well. Not just because they have great individual quality, but collectively they are really doing really well. It will be a tough game, but it's our, it's our challenge, it's our goal to the, to the match, to compete and to, te- to take a good result for us. How well equipped then do you feel your squad is now to start challenging those kind of top six sides? I think you, I think we did. I think we did when um, uh, when we play again uh, at Emirates and we did uh, at Old Trafford as well. We did, um, of course, uh, against Arsenal we didn't achieve. Um, we performed well, but we didn't achieve what we want. And you know, like uh, we played against uh, uh, Man United, and in some moments again, happened something put out the things more difficult for us. Looking at Chelsea, obviously Ross Barkley, the chance to face his former side. Is Ross someone that you would have liked to have worked with here? And what have you made of his progress at Chelsea? Good question. <laughs> okay, you are talking about a very good player, uh, but of course, what uh, what I'm I'm really happy to do and to work with my players, the players I have here. At, in our squad, the players are working here at in Everton this moment. I'm really happy to work with them. Of course, I can tell you, we are talking about a very good player. And in terms of stopping Chelsea, obviously everyone highlights Hazard at the minute and the form that he's in. Is he the best player in, in the Premier League at, at the moment? And would you even go further than that when you look at the world stage? At this moment, uh, yes. I think um, with the, the bad injury the Kevin De Bruyne uh, had in the beginning of the season, uh, I think in, during this season at this moment, uh, Hazard is the is my opinion as well, and I agree with with you. Of course, for us to stop him as we have to stop him as a team, and when you look to to Chelsea and when we did our when you do our analysis, you just you cannot look just for one player because if you do that, it will be our first mistake uh, when we prepare the match. Okay, he's a really important player. He can decide one match. Um, in one minute, he can. He has this capacity as well. But I think the uh, Chelsea as a team, uh, they will create more problems for us than just uh, just Hazard. Of course, you have to stop him in some moments because he has the capacity to solve the problems in one against one. Sometimes one against two, he has this capacity as well. But we have to to work collectively and to to show a strong defensive organization when you have to to do. And what difference has Sari made to Chelsea? Because. Stats show that obviously Hazard has eight goals already this season. Morata scored five in his last seven. But looking at the team as a whole as well, what, what difference has Sarri's appointment as manager made to I think it's not it's not fair to compare with the, the previous coach um, because it's completely different style, a completely different style of play as well. 
Uh, what I can tell you is doing uh, a very good job. I think is it's easy to understand the the, the big impact uh, he had in the in the squad. Uh, how he he changed uh, the the style of play to too fast. Of course, they have uh, high quality players as well. Uh, but uh, how he changed the, everything too fast and how he's clear uh, when you realize them uh, what they can they, they try to do. Obviously, as well, Marco, just finding for me, if Tony Bellew wins on Saturday night, you'll be expecting him to do something similar on Sunday, put the pressure on you. Your message for Tony, <laughs> the week. No, OK, we, everything good to, to him. We, we hope everything goes well. And of course, he, he can win. Uh, all of us, we are supporting him. And uh, we hope we can see all together in the, in the hotel the his fight and um, I met with uh, with him I think last week here uh, at Finch Farm and um, he's a big Evertonian and for us it's important he, he can win of course we are supporting him. You're going to be watching in the hotel he said. Yes it's possible. Yeah. Thank you. Marco you were 17 the last time Everton beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge what makes you confident that you can change that statistic this weekend? Yeah, confidence in our work uh, Confidence in uh, in the the way we are playing, um, seeing how our our team is growing and uh, playing better and getting better results uh, the last uh, last month and half two months. And of course, will be tough. Um, I accept uh, they will be favourite to the to the match, uh, but it's a big challenge for us. And uh, what uh, really I hope and uh, what I expect. Um, that will be ourselves on the pitch. Of course, they will create problems to us. I don't have doubts about that. Um, but I want to see our team to be ourselves, to play in our way. Um, some moments they will create. They obligate us to do different things than to uh, and you, what we want because they have this capacity as well. But when you have the ball, uh, we have to be ourselves. Only one away win so far. What do you feel you need to do to improve that record? I don't have doubts until the end of the season will improve. Uh, for me, it's clear. Um, I can analyze and to uh, too fast to you the five, five games we played. Um, the first two we played with almost 90 minutes with 10 players. We didn't lose. We almost we win. We won both, even with the 10 players. And after we played against Arsenal and Man United, I already spoke about Arsenal match. Good match. They. They were more effective than us, and you know, like we lost the game against Man United, and we had a very good win against Leicester. I think we were competitive in all of them. We we compete to win in all of them, even against uh, this type of uh, of teams. And uh, to be clear, I, I'm sure we'll improve uh, this form until the end of season. I have doubt. I don't have doubts about that. Richardson scored six in nine league games. Just how pleased are you with the way that he settled in so far? Important uh, for him, important for us as a club. Uh, the club did a big effort to to sign with uh, with him. I told you um, since the first moment he came and joined us. I don't have doubts like how he came and will settle well in our club. Will fit really well in our club. Not just because he can score, not just because he can score playing as a striker or as a winger, but how he can work, how he, it will be easy for him to have a fantastic connection with our fans because he's a, he's a fighter, not just he has the quality because he has, but he's a fighter, he never gives up. 
and for me it's clear how we can settle uh, really easy in our club. Okay, guys, uh, one more, Phil, just... <coughs> So in terms of team news, um, Jagielka, Kenny, McCarthy, I think someone played on Tuesday night, didn't they? Are they, are they all available? Who? Can you repeat, please? Uh, Jagielka, McCarthy uh, and John Joe Kenny as well. No, John Joe Kenny didn't play on, on Tuesday. No, but uh, did he return to training this week? How, how's it? No. Still in doubt, Jagielka and McCarthy, they are in they are in training. Everything is okay. They are doing full training with the team. John Joe still still in doubt. Uh, last one, please, Vinny. Uh, Marco, we're just obviously away from matters on the pitch. Just can we get your reaction to the two-year academy transfer ban that's been handed out and how that will affect you going forward? It didn't affect, uh, as of course, it's not uh, it's not a good thing. I think the the club work with the Premier League and uh, everything is solved uh, now. Uh, what I can say, and then is the. the Hard work in this situation. Our CEO did, did uh, hard work in this situation. Could solve everything. Uh, is something, uh, and I can say to you, is something would happen, would happen in the in the future in our club, uh, because our way is different uh, as a club as well. Um, now is everything is is finished, and um, to be to be honest, is not something in our daily here. Is not something will affect us. Our focus is clear day by day to improve our our team, and day by day to prepare the, the next match. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.